Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. It's about giving them a seat at the table to discuss these sometimes mature themes and actually listening to hear them, not to respond. Yasmin London is the Executive Director of YSAFE, Australia's largest online safety education organisation. Yasmin ignites social change through education and courageous conversations. My kind of girl. Her mission is to equip people with the skills and knowledge to ensure technology enhances their modern day lives rather than detracts from it. Having previously spent 13 years in the New South Wales Police Force, Yasmin has truly been at the coalface when it comes to dealing with real-life consequences of negative online behaviours experienced by young people, parents and advocates trying to navigate the complex digital terrain. Now, as the Executive Director of YSAFE, Yasmin has collaboratively overseen the team's delivery of online safety education to some 500,000 kids since its inception, 100,000 parents and 50,000 school staff educating on multiple aspects of digital wellbeing and online safety. Yaz is a fantastic speaker. It's where I first met her. Um, she consults for governments, schools, businesses and not-for-profit organisations. And aside from being widely recognised as Australia's dancing cop, you need to check that out online. It's very cool. She's also written for Kids Spot and appears on Channel 9 Today and the Weekend Today show, providing advice for Australians on online safety and positive technology management. Whilst this conversation is a little confronting, it's a really important conversation and I feel the more we are aware of what we're up against in this online space now, the better armed and safer we can all be. Hope you really enjoy it. It's fantastic to have you here, Yaz. Can't wait to get stuck in. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, fabulous. You and I have always had some very interesting conversations, so I'm sure this can go anywhere today. So let's kick off. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Look, this is a strange one, but I'd like to talk about self-generated intimate images by young people. I think that's a really important topic. It's something that I, you know, I work in in terms of a business. We deal with people that have unfortunate incidences of this happen to them all the time. And I think it's a courageous conversation we all need to be having with our young people. Yeah, wow. That's some would say quite a heavy topic, which is um, very important to get into. But can you break it down a little bit more for me? Obviously, the work that you do with YSAFE and with your history and previous experience in this space about cybersecurity, you're seeing a real change in this area. Is that why you think that we need to talk about it more? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's two areas when it comes to intimate images that are really problematic from my perspective or our perspective at YSafe. So we talk to, you know, communities, schools, businesses, parents, kids, all about how to have positive online experiences. And, you know, particularly after COVID, we've seen lots of issues with kids sharing nude images, so self-generated intimate images with each other and then obviously as we've seen you know in recent weeks issues around consent and online consent and intimate relationships and the impact that that can have on our young people but also when it comes to you know online predators grooming behaviors things that are happening there again because of COVID and all of us being in you know isolation what actually happened to a whole range of young people when they started speaking to strangers online and I guess how they were coerced into generating and sharing intimate images of themselves too. So both of those areas, I think, are incredibly important topics to talk about, really uncomfortable topics to talk about, particularly if you're a parent or you are an aunt, an uncle, somebody that works with young people. It's often not the topic that we want to spend time discussing with our kids, but now more than ever, it's a really important one that we address. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, as you say, the evidence of what's kind of going on in this space So what I want to ask you about, though, probably getting into a bit more detail there about the work that you do and helping people is, you know, how young are the children in terms of you expect that this is probably teenage kids, but I'm sure that it's probably happening earlier than that. And then what are the signs that parents and guardians and aunts and uncles and, you know, because sometimes the kids won't talk to their parents, they might talk to, you know, an aunt or something about these types of things. What are the conversations that they could be having with the kids? And also what are the sort of things need to be looking for? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think to answer your first component of your question, what age is this happening to young people? And you are probably predominantly, you know, teenagers are getting involved in these sorts of behaviours, particularly if it's, you know, them sharing an intimate image with a partner. Uh, But certainly it's not just a teenager issue. You know, we've seen kids as young as seven, eight, nine, ten, connecting with strangers online, getting into conversations with them where they've been coerced or manipulated into sharing images of themselves for grooming purposes. So I think the first thing that we really need to focus on as, as parents and aunts and uncles and advocates of children is not being apathetic because of a child's age. You know, supervision and involvement in their online life is, you know, the number one golden rule when it comes to children in online environments. And one of the things that we really try hard to focus on at YSAFE is, I guess, a bit of a ironic factor in that, you know, we want to make sure that kids understand that we support their engagement in online environments, that we're not demonising technology, but obviously we've got to teach them the skills to be safe and to make sure that they are um, making good choices when it comes to who they engage with. When we talk about statistics, we know that one in four young people every 12 months or so is contacted by a stranger and around 38% of them will talk to that stranger. So kids just don't see Mm -hmm. The risk and the problem, especially if that stranger, for example, is, you know, not in this country, for example, or doesn't live around the corner. They don't understand the risk that can happen by engaging with someone who has the ability to manipulate them, to create environments where they feel supported and therefore maybe willing to share intimate images or intimate secrets about themselves or where they really feel connected to this person. So the manipulation factor and the dominance that predators can have on children and particularly young children 
can't be understated. The second part of your question, how can parents recognize this? What can they do? What can, you know, all of us do to support kids? I think, you know, as I mentioned, that golden rule is is being involved, staying curious about who they're talking to and why. For much younger kids, there's got to be rules and boundaries around how much time they're allowed online, what platforms they're allowed access to, or if we're allowing them access to platforms, what restrictions we're putting in place to prevent certain features from being accessible by them. It's not sort of a set and forget. It's more nuanced in terms of what we can do to support their online life and help them engage in safe ways, but still be, you know, the parents and carers where we keep them safe. And so, you know, in the state and the pace of which technology is changing and the kids are kind of learning this stuff at school all day, every day. And so how do parents keep up? Because, you know, I know that like parental controls and you <laughs> my little um, nephews and stuff and they think it's hilarious because they're like yeah mum thought she locked us out but she has no idea you know and then we sneaky have this way around and that's innocent because they want to watch some cartoon show or whatever that she's trying to manage them but obviously it becomes more sinister with you know what we're talking about here so how do parents keep on top of that because that's you know a continual problem right It's super difficult. And, you know, as you mentioned, Michelle, technology evolves at a rapid rate. You know, I'm in this space, in this business, and there's still apps I don't know about or things that will catch me by surprise. So, you know, certainly it's not easy for anyone. But I guess what I say to parents and for anybody that spends time with kids is there's no playbook for, you know, how to deal with them in real life. And therefore, there's no playbook when it comes to the online world as well. And we've got to kind of think of that world is one in the same. It's not just their online life and their physical life. Kids are, are that first generation where they don't really make that delineation. So it's about changing yeah, our thinking a little bit around that. It's about understanding that we have to deal with that area that is an unknown for us, but it's about trial and error as well. And it's about effort and consistency and all those same rules that apply to a physical world environment. It's about staying curious and not judgmental, getting kids to open up in any way that we can, you know, we've got to come in from a a positive standpoint, not a demeaning, nonchalant kind of approach, which I think, you know, we've all fallen into that trap in one way or another as adults dealing with the technology world of young people and really just not understanding the pull and the attraction of some games or some social media platforms, for example. So that curiosity is really helpful, um, but it really Mm -hmm. does come back to one thing that we call the ABC, which is controlling their access in some way, and this will change depending on their age. It should include parental control tools for younger kids, but as you rightly mentioned, it's not a set and forget scenario. Kids can get around them. Some are more tech savvy than others. And, you know, they will want to bypass it, but it's just about having a tool to assist you. They're not there to solve every problem. I think if there was one that could do that, we'd all be shareholders in that company because it would be, you know, amazing, but that doesn't really exist. So it's a tool to assist you as a parent. Um, It's that involvement, that supervision, creating boundaries around their time. For kids, that might be limiting how much time they have online. And for older teens, it might be helping teach them how to balance their time online by helping them with boundaries. Um, and then that open communication, that that last point is just constantly, you know, making sure they know you're on side, not that you're going to let them do whatever it is that they want to do all the time, unfettered access, but it's about the fact that they know that they can come to you for help, that if something goes wrong, that you're not going to stand there and judge them and, and sort 
sort of poo-poo the internet world, you're going to stand beside them and find a way to support them through, you know, the ups and downs of what they go through. Just thinking you talking there about growing up and how, you know, my parents tried to educate me about, you know, the whole stranger danger and the types of things. I think some of your points are really valid about it's not physical and online. It's all blended now for these kids. So that, you know, it's a really good point, I think, for parents to think about. But is there particular points that you in your companies educate the kids around, here's some kind of key things to look out for, particular behaviours or, you know, types of questions that they're getting asked? I mean, I guess the only challenge now is if you recognise particular categories, I guess if, you know, a guy came up to you as a kid in the street and asked you, do you want some lollies and come for a ride in my car? If we kind of were educated, no, that's not safe and no, I don't want to go away with you. But if a young girl was messaging me online and she's about the same age as me and she's asking me, you know, these questions and we assume that she's who she says she is, you know, now we're finding all these identity challenges and all these big cases that are coming up, then that's happening more often than not that actually these people are you know, false identities, how do kids get around and navigate that space? Yeah, that's a really great question because we've got to have some go-to practical tips for them when they're in these situations for them to go, all right, well, this is something I can do to test this person on. This is something that's giving me a bit of a red flag feeling. So I think, you know, when it comes to strangers and kids, we want to think of the too thick, too quick method. You know, they're coming on too thick with compliments and positive commentary about who we are without really knowing us Um, and they're doing that really really quickly so becoming quite excessive about the way that they are behaving towards us even if it's in a positive way that should be a bit of an alarm bell I think if you also have public uh, social media profiles you've got to be aware that scammers and predators will both target you you know in many different ways but before they actually start a conversation they will go through your social media profiles if they're able to they will find anything that allows them to create a common ground between you and them so with a kid it might be them opening you know a conversation by talking about a family pet and calling it a Jack Russell dog which you know lo and behold that child also has a Jack Russell dog that they posted a picture of on Instagram three weeks ago but a child doesn't get that they just see that as a common ground as something in something that they do have in common with that person so being really aware of of what people can access through your social media profiles we know that romance scams happen the same way when it comes to adults you know the people that are posting about breakups or shake-ups or divorces or whatever it might be perfect breeding ground for scammers to come in and you know start to romance that person make them feel supported Mm. and needed so understanding what is out there about us and locking down our privacy settings when it comes to kids as well you know if somebody's asking a lot of questions about you know who they are what their age is where they are you know those sort of personal private information components um, those are really really important and if they're then trying to transfer them onto other platforms so one thing that we see is say a predator might start to groom a child on a gaming platform and they'll start a conversation with them and then they'll try to transfer them to an app like snapchat where they've then got the ability to coerce that child to share an image because of the fact that a feature of snapchat is that the message will delete and so therefore the permanency isn't there and the risk is obviously lowered so understanding those things are really important 
One thing that we always suggest to kids, and this is a great tip for adults as well, is if you're unsure of someone, if you think you might be being catfished, which is where somebody will use imagery or content about someone that they're not, you can do a Google reverse image search on their profile picture. So if you go to the Google homepage, the top right side, you should see the words image search. And if you click on that, you can drag and drop images and videos into that search bar. And if that person's catfishing you or if they've been reported before using that same profile picture, then that will come up on that search. Okay, that's good. That's good for us all to know. I <laughs> might put that in the notes actually. Yeah, explanation of that. Yes, that's great. It's really good. You know, knowing just mm. a few things like that, you know, I, I teach mm. this stuff, but I wouldn't consider myself that tech savvy. You know, I don't spend time learning about the technical elements of cyber safety necessarily. I'm about behaviours and how, I guess, we engage with different people. But knowing mm-hmm. just a couple of different things like that that you can check on if you're not sure can be really, really helpful and really fruitful. And we know, you know, from lots of different situations as well where we've suggested things like Google reverse image searches or another one called a Boolean search where we'll put a name into uh, Google but put it in apostrophes and put a location next to it, which will refine that search. So if you've got a guy who's calling himself, you know, John Smith and he said he's from, uh, you know, Sydney, New South Wales, John Smith's a bit of a difficult one, but, you know, you can pop that into Google using a Boolean search and it might bring up different information. So it's about being proactive and checking and listening to your gut most importantly. Yeah, no, I think some really good points there, Yaz. I mean, and not just for kids, it's, you know, obviously for adults to help educate others but then also you know some adults do some dumb stuff online as well so it's always uh, good advice for everyone if you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me i'd love to hear from you so drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com let's head back to the chat I want to get into, and you sort of talked about it a little bit there at the start where you're saying about this self-generated imagery and the grooming aspect. So define grooming in your world first for me so that people kind of fully understand what you mean by that. And then what I'd like to understand is why is this becoming more and more prolific around the self-generated imagery? Is it that people are coercing, and that's your point about the um, coercing people, but the grooming factor, or is it that we are a little bit more freer of what we're putting online and is that sort of the phenomenon of what's been going on in terms of less clothing, everyone's a bit more comfortable with more skin? I don't know. Like, So I'm curious about your views on that as well. Yeah, so I guess grooming is any kind of behaviour by an adult to sexually objectify a child in an online environment, so any kind of behaviour that would lead to that outcome. You know, the self-generation factor has increased a lot because uniquely in the last year we've all been in isolation. So, you know, what we've seen is a whole lot of kids that have gone from safe school environments where their devices particularly were protected and filtered in those environments via that location, coming home to a house where mum and dad are just scrambling to keep their jobs, deal with a pandemic, try to support you know the family in whatever way they need to, but kids have been coming home and spending more time online with less supervision 
without things like filters. A filter might not necessarily always prevent them from talking to a stranger, but it will prevent things like pop-ups of pornographic images, for example, or links to certain websites that they shouldn't be able to access. So it does help in a lot of ways. So we had that issue with increased time online with reduced supervision and reduced functionality of of parental control tools, which have been really helpful in the past. To answer your question, yes, you know, we're living in a social media world where kids are sexualized at a much younger age. And so they do tend to post more mature content as they get older, but certainly that age of starting to post, you know, sexy images or risque content starts at a much younger age. So that is identified by lots of predators. We also saw during COVID, you know, a mass migration of offline predators move online because they had to. So we saw, yes, you know, makes sense. it's crazy that they're bored predators and they, you know, they want to engage with kids. So, you know, we know that the dark web absolutely lit up when we all went into lockdown in March. And I remember a statistic actually that was quite frightening that I learned about was from the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. 2019, they received uh, in the month of March I think it was about 883,000 reports of child exploitation material to them. So this is just in one month. And this is globally or? They're based in the US and these are reports to them throughout the globe, but, you know, obviously primarily uh, US cases. So that was eight, about 883,000. Now, when we went into lockdown in March 2020, that number rose 106% to over 2 million reports in one month. In around about that same time when that report came out, there was a UK group called the Internet Watch Foundation that found that around 68,000 images that were reported to them uh, were actually self-generated by kids. So they'd taken those pictures at home. Sometimes in some of the videos that were uh, submitted to them, you could hear mum and dad downstairs calling them for dinner. You know, these are the things that are happening right under our our noses, happening to our kids, you know, while we're in the same house. And I guess this is why I wanted to talk about this, because there is this disconnect when we think about safety, because someone's not standing next to us. We don't necessarily see or understand the risk that they pose, not just to our kids, but to us as well. But if we allow kids to enter into a conversation with an adult that is willing to objectify them, to depersonalise them, enact their dominance, you know, create a power imbalance because they can, because they're able to do that with young, vulnerable kids, then the result is that kids are coerced or threatened or extorted into sharing images of themselves. So, There was a scan that went around again throughout COVID where a predator would get a hold of an old email address, a disused email address, and they might be able to find the password, for example, and they'd send those messages to kids and they'd say, I've got access to your email account. Through your email account, I've been able to access your camera. I've got nude images of you. I've got these photos that you took years ago that you thought were deleted. And if you don't send me more then I'm going to share these out with, you know, as many people as I can possibly contact. So that's, you know, basically extorting and blackmailing that child. They didn't actually have any photos, but then the child feels so shameful and so threatened that they do think it's going to go away by sending that one picture. And once they've sent that picture, that's all over. They know that they can get that child now. They've got that image and it goes on from there. 
So I guess, mm-hmm. you know, that's my long-winded answer to how that risk can happen. Yeah. Oh, it gives me chills thinking about it. And it, it can happen really easily, as you say. Like it's not someone being silly or stupid or, you know, naive in some sense. It's just some of these predators are incredibly clever. And, uh, you know, the manipulation factors, as you say, they continually have to up their game and, and make it even more realistic in ways that they can coerce people to doing things. So in this kind of work you do, I mean, we're talking about about some pretty troubling statistics and stuff, but what are the things that you're seeing that worry you the most, Yaz? Uh, look, I think these sorts of images and the sharing of this sort of content can have lifelong impacts and I think, mm. you know, probably our biggest issue in the world today is dealing with things like mental health and the impact of, you know, the online world on young people and on adults and how situations like this, crises like this can impact people in in the long term. So the thing that I would like to see is, is more conversation about this, more support of young people in these environments, making sure that they know that the adults in their world are on their side because we know that when situations like this happen, statistically kids often will not seek help as a result of this. They will hold these issues inside because they feel that they will get into trouble or that it's their fault. It's that victim-blaming mentality that happens for them. And, you know, often adults in their lives will say, well, why did you take that picture? Why did you talk to that person? And we're focusing on the wrong the wrong person in terms of the blame game. Yeah, really good point. Reading, you know, obviously with Grace Tame and you know, her phenomenal speech and for those that don't know, like the Australian of the Year and beautiful young Tasmanian. I mean, a lot of the conversation that she has about that and the grooming and how, you know, that shame, feeling that shame factor, and I think that's what you're kind of tapping into there as well. The kids are like, I'm not going to share this with anyone because it, like I'm mortified it happened and I feel like an idiot. And and then also if the predator's actually threatening them, as she talked about, like the teacher had threatened her on multiple occasions around, you know, what he was going to do to her life and how he was going to ruin it more by her talking about it. So as you say, educating kids, having those conversations with them around this is the way it can play out, like being realistic about it, I guess. But what are the kind of tips is there anything that you guys have online or on uh, your organization that is kind of a bit of a checklist like how can we help parents navigate this because i just people will be listening to us going holy shit like what do i do with my kids so i want to be able to you know potentially kind of wrap it up and and give some kind of good news i guess of of the potential things that it's good to be aware of this is this is not going away anytime soon but you need to be conscious of it and working on it to your point taking a proactive approach right yeah absolutely I think you know for anybody listening today the fact that you've listened to this conversation is a great start because it shows that you're interested in learning more and you're not falling into that category of the my child doesn't need help they're a good kid so then they're going to be fine I think anything that you can do in terms of of self-education is really helpful and I know that we're all time poor uh, but finding you know repeat resources, information that is quick and palatable for you to understand the basics about a platform that your child might be using and the risk factors around that. So in terms of where to find that, we we have a platform at YSafe that has, you know, a whole range of information, 130 app and game reviews, how-to guides, lots of the stuff that we've talked about today. That's usually run 
um, through school packages. But if you just right. want a, a quick fire way to learn as well, there's a really great organisation called the Office of the E-Safety Commissioner and they are Australia's uh, regulatory body when it comes to anything online. But they also have a, a range of free fantastic resources as well. So their website is esafety.gov.au. I think a really important thing is engaging your school as well in terms of finding out what they're doing to support your child's learning in this space, making sure that they're taking an active role in creating digitally resilient children. You know, they need to play in this space. They need to be in it. Therefore, they need to learn how to use it well. The days of pushing it aside and sort of saying, look, technologies, you know, the devil or, you know, we don't understand it, therefore we're not going to really go there. Those days are gone. You can't do a head in the sand with this. No, you've got to tackle it. If you're not comfortable with tech, like it's just having the conversations and, you know, looking for those particular things. I think it's it's really wise advice. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, Yaz, is, I mean, this is incredible work that you do. And so you're speaking, you know, I see you online all the time, you're different schools and you're educating kids. And so do you tackle in your whole gamut of like cyber bullying and cyber security are these is there all sort of different components that you're educating people about yeah that's a great question michelle we talk about a lot of different topics i guess because it has evolved from the days of it just being cyber safety and cyber bullying to so many different facets of the online world we need to be across now so We'll talk about, uh, you know, obviously cyberbullying, negative online behaviours. So we've sort of left the basic conversation about cyberbullying now and we're really delving deeply into how kids and adults, I guess, can manage online conflict and being really practical in terms of the way that they can apply some skills there. We talk about, you know, legislation, obviously being a, a ex-police officer, that's an important part of the puzzle when we see kids, you know, behaving in certain ways, the, the repercussions legally that can happen there. Really importantly, we talk about, you know, their online personal brand and their digital footprint and also their digital well-being. So I think, you know, particularly in the past 12 to 18 months, we've seen this real focus and interest when it comes to young people on how they can create time online that's productive, how they can manage the pool of persuasive technology, understanding the psychological tactics that app developers and gaming developers use to capture their attention. So trying to really help them regulate themselves and regulate their time online as well, you know, balancing all of that, which, you know, I'll stick my hand up and say I struggle with it. I think we all have a really hard time when it comes to managing the pool of our tech and creating boundaries around our use. So I think that that's a really important piece of the puzzle too. They need to learn that early. And I guess a new one that we're talking about now a lot is the subject of online consent. Uh, and I guess that's really part of the greater conversation of consent and intimacy and relationships. But that's, you know, a really important piece of the puzzle as well. Often when we have these incidences of alleged sexual assaults, very often there's an online component, whether there is an image that's been shared or there's something that's happened, you know, previously that's led up to a particular incident happening, might be a conversation on a on a chat thread, or it could be a picture that's been circulated that's, you know, led to something. So it's an important piece of the puzzle there as well and something that, you know, we're really looking forward to talking more about mm -hmm. as the year progresses. It's not like there's no content, you know, in terms of new pictures and things online, right? So there's 
thousands and thousands of videos and photos of all different ages, gender, etc. So it's almost like dumbing it right down to something so simple of saying, why would a person ask for a picture of me? You know what I mean? Like, I've, like in terms of sharing, there's, there's only one reason, like it's never a good reason, you know, like they're always going to be some, doing something bad with it. There's no positive reason a kid should share an, an image of themselves. Yeah, to really create, a, uh, I guess, a simple answer to that, because you're right, it's great to have those simple responses, is I guess in, in kids' minds they might think there is a positive response because they might share it with a partner and they might think they're sexy or really, you know, think that they're great in terms of actually sharing that image. But the simple answer is you've got to be prepared that that image will circulate. And it might not get shared, but once you've sent it... You've lost control. That's the thing you've got to, you know, if it's going to keep you awake at night, that's where you've got to say Mm. no for most of us. That would probably keep us awake at night. Certainly for kids, that's something that we don't want them to be doing. So finding other ways to create intimacy in relationships, helping them find reputable resources if they're wanting to learn more about sex, for example, Even as a parent, that's a super difficult conversation to have with your child, but it's more important that the information that they're getting is legitimate research-based, not pornography off Pornhub, that they're going to just get disinformation and they're going to learn about relationships in a whole other context and it's going to really meddle with what they understand is intimacy. Yeah, we were talking before about Recently, Yumi Steins has just released a book about consent and one of the points she raised was around that younger people don't, they don't see people have sex, so they watch porn and they think that that's how people have sex. So the the statistics, and you were uh, mentioning it earlier about some of the um, horrendous statistics in that space, I'm just interested to hear that. So when it comes to porn, I guess, which is the the way that kids do learn about what a sexual relationship is, say violence against women, we know that around 96% of of pornography depicts violence against women and that around 93% of that uh, is actually met with a pleasurable or positive response from the woman in that video. So, you know, that's really, I guess, giving you a snapshot as to the messaging that's happening in a lot of a lot of these videos. For men, you know, that you've got to strangle a woman or you've got to slap her, you've got to choke her. These are the things that they're seeing uh, is what a woman wants. And, you know, girls are seeing this thinking, oh, maybe that's something that I should like and, you know, accept And so, you know, those messages are not just sexual. They flow into so many different areas of their lives. leads to that conversation of misogyny, of of inequality. You know, these are the themes that are really circulating heavily in our society at the moment. And a lot of it does stem back to pornography and, you know, from a very young age, a young person's understanding of of what what each other wants and and how to please each other and what intimacy actually is. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it is up to us to combat pornographic viewing which you know they will see we've got to accept that they will have exposure at some point or another we know that kids you know as young as 11 are viewing pornography but often coming across it inadvertently you know they're not necessarily seeking it out they're being exposed to it so you know it is on us as parents and as advocates and carers of young people to be brave enough to start that conversation to find new ways of approaching it, addressing it. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to sit down and have the chat. 
Yeah, because it's awkward for kids, right? It's They don't want to talk about that stuff. None of us did with their parents. But it's about being more clever about the way that you'll raise it. So, you know, mm. use Grace Tame, for example, and her her fantastic speech. Use a book like Yumi's written and say, look, darling, I'm just reading this book. I'm reading this statistic. What do you think about this? Giving them a voice, not just being the parent in that world. It's about giving them a, a seat at the table to discuss these sometimes mature themes and actually listening to hear them, not to respond. Yeah, she say, say that again. Listening to hear them, not to respond to them. Beautiful. So true. So true. So I, I, man, I could talk to you for ages and we're going over time, but Yaz, the last thing I wanted to ask you, obviously, you know, this work is amazing work that you do. And how long were you in the police force for? 13 years. Wow. And so was it because of the type of work that you were doing in the police force or the things that you were seeing of why you went into this work? Is that sort of how it came about? Yeah, so I had a couple of situations happen that drew me to this kind of work. The first was a uh, suicide negotiation with a young person over cyberbullying. So that was pretty heavy. Thankfully, it was a successful negotiation. We got her back. She was okay. But that really just drove home the seriousness of what was going on in this world. I also had a bit of a funny incident happen to me personally. So I was down at an event in Martin Place in the city a couple of years ago and was filmed dancing in police uniform with a, a guy in, in the middle of Martin Place to, to Pitbull. So it was a lovely moment. I was there for community engagement. He sort of challenged me to a dance-off and I went with it. And this video went absolutely viral. So it, it reached about 6 million views over you know, a couple of weeks and I got this tagline of the dancing cop. And I guess, you know, that personal experience of, of having a situation where I was filmed technically without my consent or knowledge, um, you know, I should have known about it and thought about it as an adult and a police officer, but didn't. You know, this particular video going viral and I, I guess hundreds of people making comment on my actions, both good and bad, so having that personal experience of, of a viral video really taught me about the power of the online world as well. Those two instances, and I guess, you know, having loved my time in the police, really wanting to do more in this space just led me on a different path. So I'm always really grateful for my time. It's taught me so much about life and people and, and you know, taught me a lot of the skills that I needed to do what I do now. Oh, it's an amazing job, you know, where you serve. And this is a, a job where you're serving in such different ways, but helping so many people and really interesting conversation quite, you know, this will be uncomfortable for many people and a bit icky. And, you know, some will be like freaking out going, oh my God, I need to speak to my kids straight away. I need to understand what they're doing online. But I think all that is a good thing. Like it's just, you know, we're raising this awareness and you're really educating others to stop putting your head in the sand. You need to deal with this because it's not going away. So thank you so much, Yaz, for your chat today. Was, um, I learned lots from you and um, there's lots of things I need to research and go into further as well. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And look, in the end, it's just about making a bit of effort, being consistent, you know, taking an interest, all those same default settings that we just go to when it comes to any area of our life we're unsure of. Doing something's better than doing nothing. And we know that great things come when we step outside our comfort zone. Beautiful. What a way to finish. Yes, London, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michelle. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, 
you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.